bit. Um, the mobility comes. The mobility comes from just like basically stretching. Now that I've got no pain, or mm. now that hopefully I will have no pain. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what's supposed to be really good for shoulders and back generally? Um, pull up bar, and just just yeah. hang off it. Yeah. Like no 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 pull ups. Just hang off the thing. Stretch your back. Stretch your muscles. If you want to give it a few reps, why not? But I think it's, it's I think it's a good idea, isn't it? Um, we should probably, given the fact we are like sh- shaving monkeys anyway, that's our evolutionary route. You know what I'm saying? Um, so we, should, we should go back to like swinging through the branches or something similar. It's probably going to good be good for us. I I reckon. Yeah. Um, anyway, listen. Um, listen. Um, welcome everybody back to Bring Food Bake Fresh. It's episode three, despite the fact it should be episode twenty already by now. Um. We were kind of singularly failed to actually launch this show, and it was just bad timing because essentially I went down with COVID, and then I had to travel a bit, and it was like, oh, it didn't did not happening properly. But we should be doing this every Monday at twelve thirty now, um, where we're going to review the newsletter from last week um, uh, because we wanted to create some space to talk about the topics here without feeling that we were crushed uh, in terms of time. So I hope you're going to enjoy this um, show. If you're interested in uh, contributing to it. Feel free to comment in the chat stream or in LinkedIn or wherever you're at um, and actually ask questions like the guy Sean Wilkes has done at the bottom. I think this might be a good way of doing it where I solicit people to ask questions in advance of the show. Then we can actually talk about them because, you know, it could well be that you've read something on the newsletter yesterday or this morning or whatever. And you think, hang on, that's interesting. But, you know, I'd like to pitch this in and then have a chat. So, um, so yeah, anyway. Let's dive straight into it. I think everyone can hear me okay. Um, I think people in Crowdcast can. Um, and I am definitely live on LinkedIn. Let me just quick, quickly check on LinkedIn, actually. Bear with me. I'm always with Adam uh, Godnot for this, by the way. So welcome, Adam. Good to see you, sir. Thanks for having me. No worries. No it was good, worries. To see you. <clears throat> good to see you in person a few days ago. It was, wasn't it? I mean, uh, as I said on the post, it's sort of because uh, uh, we're always on screen all the time. We chat all the time online. It's like quite rare to actually see see in person. So it was really good to catch up. Um, and uh, I, thought, I thought it was a great event as well. I really enjoyed how it was all laid on. It was a um, great venue, obviously, and uh, some some quality chat as well. I always forget how dapper you are until I see you in person. Mate, I got that one blazer. That's it. Yeah, listen, I need to get an entirely new wardrobe, not only because my body shape is like totally changed, um, but also I, I realize I need to refresh it. I mean, I haven't got any clothes since pre-COVID, right? So everything I've got is at least minimum three years old. Um, and not only is it dated in terms of style, but it's also like very just, it's, like, it's been there for like three years, not being worn. So it's like, it needs it needs a bit of an air out. So anyway, yeah, I probably need a, a fashion makeover at some point. Um, but anyway, uh, let's get on with it. Let's talk about this, Adam. I don't know if you had the time to, to have a read through the newsletter. Um, if so, man, pick out a few things. What was interesting, dude? Yeah, well, look, I wasn't going to talk about the Twilio one because I it, I thought I, I I've got a tendency to say things in the wrong way occasionally, and um, okay. not not because I mean badly about it, but just because like there's been a couple of I think it's just been, well maybe just once, but I did say a couple of things which got people really mad. Do you remember that show about a year ago? I do, um, I do, and it, I yes. don't think it was that bad, but I think definitely we we hovered into territory where people just got emotionally very committed. 
Um, and that became difficult because once people have made that emotional commitment, there's almost like a no retreat scenario. So it's hard to hard to de-escalate a, a situation where people are very committed to, to fight their corner. Yeah. So, yeah. so I totally get what you say. I don't I don't think you're wrong. I mean, we talked about it afterwards as well, and uh, Amy did as well. And, and there was no, I don't think it was any big deal. But yeah, it was not necessarily great TV. So 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 we don't necessarily want want that repeated. But I, I mean, don't I don't want fault. to. I, I'm not saying that because I avoid these topics. It's actually because the honest truth is I, I did skim the Twilio uh, one and I didn't go into it in enough depth to have it as one of my like five things that I put down as ones, ones to bring up. But Sean's brought it up. It's an important one. So let's bring it up. Twilio yeah. um, is the latest you know, large tech company that's made um, redundancies. And in there, the CEO took the opportunity to uh, include within the sort of public statement that Twilio is committed to being an anti-racist company. And I, having not admittedly not read the whole thing in detail, um, I did wonder whether that was just, this, this is a company that takes, as policy, it takes every single time it communicates to the outside world, it includes that, regardless of the subject, that's going into the middle of the, the press release or the, you know, the public statement. That's one thing. Second thing was, did, did they select some racist people to get rid of? Um, I don't know. And then the third thing was, is this a slightly misplaced attempt to convey we are an extremely diverse company and we're very or we are very committed to being a diverse company? which is a bit different to, like, anti-racist. So what did you take from it? I thought that, firstly, the the, the Twilio post, the, the CEO post, I thought the, the tone was was bang on. I, I, there was no, it was, it was, I thought he addressed that tone, uh, sort of, tonally it was actually right. And even the paragraph that caused the kerfuffle online, um, uh, uh, I thought that was handled very well as well. It's like fairly innocuous-sounding uh, paragraph. But um, the reason why I kind of included it into the um, conversation is because it, it basically triggered up, triggered a lot of backlash because it essentially implied um, that your racial identity or, or your ethnic identity would be a factor in whether you were made redundant or not. Um, that was the implication. So it wasn't an explicit statement. It was an implication. Um, and it was like, okay, what does that mean exactly? I mean, let's if we take the implication to be true, and we don't know whether that's true or policy, it's just reading it and people have interpreted it to be possibly the case, it would straight away be illegal in a lot of countries. It would not be legal in the UK to do that. Um, uh, because um, secondly, there's an ethical issue. Like for instance, let's say you're committed to diversity. I think most people watching this probably are, you know, um, recruitment, HR, generally speaking, are all pretty much aligned in this space. Um, however, is it kind of opens up a little bit of a, a view whereby you say, look, if you're if you're trying to achieve a diverse workforce, uh, can you use redundancy to get there? And that that kind of leads us into quite an uncomfortable situation, doesn't it? Because let's say I'm I'm hiring. I mean, it could be any any sort of strata of of, of diversity. But let's say I'm hiring. Uh, uh, I need I need to achieve fifty percent men, women. Let's say um, in in my department. Um, I haven't got there. I've got like 20% women. I've got 80% men. Um, and the redundancies come in. Does that mean that 
you know, I start firing all the blokes to get me back to parity to 50-50, would that be fair or not? I think most people would say absolutely not. Um, you know, redundancy should be made based on um, criteria such as business criteria is the number one and possibly the only reason why you would do that. Um, and you would never factor in the identity of the person. So anyway, illegal in many countries. I think UK and most of Europe, you would not be able to do this. But in the US, we don't know whether that's actually true or not. Um, I don't know sort of the, the, the laws. I don't know the, the employment law in, in different states as well. But it kicked off enough of a um, of a controversy that I thought it's worthy to include because it's interesting where we go. If we go down a route of, look, we need to have diversity needs to be fixed into the company um uh, uh, but is every mechanism to be used that way you know it's like that's, that's uncomfortable ethically i think which you know is brain food you know um, and many times that stuff goes into brain food it's not a case where anybody's made or i certainly have not made a conclusion on it um but it's like we should talk about that because you know what happens if you're on the back end of that or you know, can you get away with it even in in the us i wonder whether that's a litigation issue if people can make the claim i wasn't fired because poor performance whatever whatever i was purely fired because my gender my race my sexual identity or whatever it might be then i think that's a legit legit case to make isn't it so so yeah very very interesting there wasn't anything to you though there wasn't anything which specifically um kind of acknowledged why that comment was included in this statement i think you're probably right in the sense that it might well be just the default um, uh, sort of positioning that they've put in because they're so committed to it and the credits to you on this, um, that they, they want to make sure any communication is underlined and emphasized. That's the positioning. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't any further, um, and I haven't followed up on the story. It's still quite new, so I'm not sure yeah. whether anything's being made apparent going forward. And but, yeah. but you know, th there is. It reminds me a little bit. I'll, I'll share the the link into the the chat stream there. Go and have a read of it yourself. And as I say, totally, I thought totally innocuous. Had there not been a, an online kind of uh, a kerfuffle on it, I probably wouldn't have noticed it. But yeah. since there was, it's, it's worth looking at. It reminds yeah. me a little bit of that case where IBM tried to essentially. Um, Get their get a younger workforce, and they fired. They got they actually got done for ageism for ex, for a similar idea. So in other words, they had they fought too many older workers um, died in the wall. You know all the classic stereotypes, and they thought, right, we just got to get rid of them. So we'll do some sort of um, redundancy package. Not really talk about it explicitly, but then they saw through the private messages between CHROs and the really senior people talking about getting rid of the dinosaurs and all this type of stuff. Obviously. You know, that was a litigation case. IBM lost it. So it reminds me a little bit like this, where there's an objective, right? So the company wants to go to a, a place demographically, they want to get there to a certain kind of position. And most people actually watching this, you tell me, folks, I mean, is that an objective that you have in your business implicitly or explicitly? You want to get to a certain place demographically with your company. And sometimes crises might be used as opportunities to get there. And it's like, okay, is that actually right? Um, worth talking about so i mean i i, I certainly think it, it 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 needs to be an objective if you don't have um if you don't already have like good diversity in your workforce it has to be an active objective uh but there's probably more organic ways of doing it than oh it's redundancy time let's get rid of like every all the males and uh you know 
to make our numbers look better. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's, it's part of why I've got a, a fundamentally a discomfiture with things like quarters because ultimately you'll manage to the numbers. I mean, that's the facts. Um, if you put a few, if you reward people, the REF actually had a had a really interesting case very recently um, where. I think they wanted to have a certain pipeline. So they were measured on terms of pipeline with regards to diversity into uh, 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 the, the RAF. Um, they weren't hitting their numbers for a particular moment. Um, and then they decided to just freeze recruitment in order to make the numbers look better. Um, and it was like, that's where kind of the, the, the measurement becomes, kind of overwhelms the point of the measure, if you like. Um, because the purpose of the measurement is to actually get a, uh, a more equitable outcome but what's it what it's done is actually cause a perverse behavior where actually you've stopped recruiting legitimately good people which you need to do by the way RF struggling to recruit anybody else um but you've frozen the recruiting in order to basically report up to management and say yeah my percentage of you know uh is looking like this so uh so yeah very very interesting how how all of that plays out um yeah added another comment on there which is absolutely correct you know when you're communicating issues about issues that impact your workforce you need to be more nuanced yeah you definitely you need they, they needed to be a bit more specific about why they were saying that because it did it did appear to like the worst case scenario is we've got rid of a bunch of racists Right? I well, mean, no, no, no. No one's saying racists were part of the company. Uh, that was not the issue. No, but there was, it was limits, though. It wasn't. It wasn't in any way. It, it just. It just. It needed to be more nuanced. I agree with Sean's point. Uh, you know what? I, it was a tough one. Like I say, I think that was the standard CEO um, communication. I thought it was actually well, well. The tone is there again. People can read it on the on the chat yourself. Um, I, I think that basically maybe. Maybe in the States, this is all happening in the US, by the way. Like I say, I don't think any CEO in the UK could get away with that. Uh, so it wouldn't emerge as a problem. Um, but in the States, I think it's obviously very more sensitive um, in, in these spaces. And there is a backlash against a lot of these, uh, 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 you know, affirmative action and so on. So which, again, is not not precisely how we do things in the UK. I don't think it's a case of you can... Uh, you know, we've got different types of ways to uh, to, to try and get to a more uh, equitable outcome rather than precisely that. So, yeah, absolutely yep. need loads of nuance. Debbie, thanks for your comment there. Hopefully we'll, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll dive into that at some point, but let, let's move on to the next yep. uh, uh, point. Yeah, Debbie's point as well. Okay, so um, Ravi Gupta's blog. So Ravi Gupta is a venture capital guy at uh, Sequoia. I think previously he was where he was a chief something with Instacart, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which was sold to Walmart. Was it? I think he was chief operating officer there. And he, the 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 TLDR on this, I think, is uh, higher for quality, not for quantity. So it was a message to startup companies, and it was the message was you're getting yourself into more problems than you should by hiring too many people too fast. The tactical bit, which I really liked, was go and take a look at the, who in your business would you want to clone over and over and over again and clone them. Find more and more of exactly the same types of people. And presumably this does not mean from a you know, personal characteristics perspective, but in terms of capabilities. And I mean, if I think about my organization, I know there's, you know, there's people that have worked with me over the years who I think, yeah, I would want more and more of exactly that type of individual. 
So, uh, you know, pull out all the stops, focus intensively on uh, cloning those individuals and hiring you know, more and more of them. Uh, it's not really a term I'm very comfortable with saying, but I think everybody knows that I mean, like performance-wise is what we're talking about. Well, so, uh, th this is where the criticism is, though. I think the, the criticism of that approach, which I do have, uh, I would share that criticism, is that you end up cloning people that you like most. Um, and then actually you'll find out their identity. I actually worked for a company that did this where very early on it was clear that the, the best performers in the company were from this type of milieu, like very highly educated school. You know, they were from Imperial or from those types of places. And CEO basically made a flat rule to say, look, nothing but the top five universities can get in here. Um, which is not unusual, by the way, implicitly or explicitly. This is how a lot of recruitment does work. Um, and, um, and But that was based on a similar modus operandi that this guy has suggested. So I do share that criticism. What I like about the post, though, two things I like about this post. Firstly, it's a non... I always love recruitment content that's written by a non-specialist recruiter because they are sometimes able to wander into these spaces that a professional recruit wouldn't, all right? Uh, they wouldn't say things like this because, you know, we're, we've been trained not to. He is prepared to just say, right, this is how it is because he's not being trained, therefore it's pre-unfiltered. So I like that. The second thing that is interesting is that he criticized over-hiring, um, which I think was absolutely the case. Again, anybody here who's ever worked for a hyper-scale-up, you know, all of these companies now making redundancies, et cetera, um, if you've ever hired people and actually not known what value they were adding to a company, um, then you are just instructed to hire 50 more of those. You know, that kind of scenario. This is what this guy's explicitly criticizing because he's saying, actually, the more people you add, the more complicated it is because the communication overhead gets uh, gets increased and the, the management overhead gets increased. Suddenly you need to provision for these people. You need to give support to them. You need to give career development. All this type of stuff goes into having made the commitment to hire them they're not really, if you don't have a, a, a map into what these people are meant to be doing, it doesn't work out. So I really like that coming from a VC, even though working for a VC, you can also understand that oftentimes it's VCs that drive that, that artificial hiring. You know I mean? Uh, a lot of company valuations are actually based on the numbers of people that are in the company when on sale. Um, you know? Well, from, so, from the VC's perspective, your company's a bet. You know, from the from the CEO's perspective or the founder's perspective, that company's not a bet. But from the VC's perspective, it's a bet. They need one in fifteen to really succeed and drive. You know, the the return, two times return on the value of their fund. They need the other the other fourteen. If they break even or fail, it doesn't really matter. So you know, they they kind of want you to. They they typically want you to build as fast as possible. Um, so it's unusual to read that from a VC. That's right. That's right. Which I was another reason why I really liked it. So I liked two parts of it and I disliked his sort of let's clone people thing because I think that leads you down to an equity uh, issue or a diversity issue for sure. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's have another one, mate. Okay. Um, right. More US employers are trapping workers in indentured servitude, yeah. which is a fancy way of saying uh, companies are telling you you need to pay back your training costs if you leave within a certain time. Yeah, This is not new. 
Not new, and um, not exclusive to US either. I mean, I was, uh, I've, I've been in companies that have done that. Um, so have I. So have I. I know people who have gone and done MBAs and all sorts of other things. And, you know, they needed to stay with the organization for a period of time or pay it back. In fact, I'm pretty sure accountancy firms um, and maybe even law firms, I'm pretty sure they do that with their with their trainees as part of their contracts. Actually, or it certainly used to be. That's a good point. Lawyers, anybody in a professional field, I'd really be interested to know, is that actually the case? Because I think there's a legitimate, there's a, there's some legitimacy behind doing it for certain, let's say, prof chartered professions, for instance. If, if a company has actually sponsored you and supported you into this and it's an, you know, a, a, an official thing, then I can kind of understand you've got a commitment to the company. You can't just bounce having acquired the qualification. Um, but then you where does that line... Where does that line in, stop, though? I mean, in a, in a, in certainly in in accountancy firms. I don't know if this is the case anymore, but certainly, um, you used to have to pay back your your uh, the fees for your professional qualifications if you failed your exams as well. I did not know that. Oh, yeah, crap. yeah, abs absolutely. I I spent first three years of my career was spent placing newly qualified chartered accountants from accountancy firms into industry. And, you know, some of them got to the end of that three years and they'd failed their exams and they needed to go and get a job as a part, you know, part qualified management accountant in somewhere. And they had to get as much money as possible because they needed to pay back the uh, ICAS fees or their ICAW fees. How, how so, much are the fees? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do. I, I do know the one thing about this article, however, which um, was it seemed to be much more about like retail jobs and hospitality jobs and stuff like that i've only really heard of this for you know white collar professionals people that knowledge economy people sitting behind a desk you know those types of individuals and this article appeared to be talking about you know people on much lower salaries yeah i mean the thing is though what is the difference right um i mean ethically what is the difference on this because Let's say I let's say I'm hire, I'm doing a restaurant. I've hired a bunch of people. I've trained them. They leave immediately. Like, is it right that 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 I to ask them to refund the training cost of that, or maybe even the opportunity cost? I could have hired somebody else. That seems to be what the employers are doing in in this case. Um, and I would say most people would be outraged at that. Um, however, what is the difference then to a white collar uh, sort of scenario as you mentioned these professional jobs or whatever what's the difference i mean other than the fact it's you know a class issue um yeah i mean it, it i wonder if this i wonder if there should be a distinction between jobs that are like careers versus jobs that are people who are earning money to pay their bills I, I don't know whether that's I, what I've said. I'm probably going to get in a lot of hot water from people for the words that I've just used there. Um, the other way maybe is to do with the actual salaries and things like Rich has just made a very good point about like we can't we can't be asking people to pay back if it takes them below the minimum wage, you know, pay back. And then it takes them into poverty because well, that's they, exactly what's happening in that in the article. I mean, so I think yeah, he's right. Yeah, Rich is probably yeah. commenting from the UK yeah. but in and this article. Training, if you're a trainee accountant on 40 grand a year and you've got to pay back four grand for your you know last year's fees because you've because you left the organization or whatever, it's probably not going to take you into poverty. Whereas for somebody who's on 16 grand a year paying back their two grand for their health and you know hygiene uh 
hygiene and safety, you know, course, it is. Honestly, I don't know how to think about this one. I don't oh. know how to think about it, folks. It's like, uh, if you're an employer, like I would say you, you might be justifiably outraged that people leave your company having you spent time to train them and all the rest of it. And you felt that they, they're using that, your, your company is a training ground to go elsewhere to a higher pay competitor. I think that's a legitimate and fair criticism, uh, a concern, should I say. But at the same time, um, you find yourself in a scenario where you are hiring uh, people that are uh, uh, you know barely qualified, you put a minimum amount of time, and these people that now have literally indentured, like <laughs> they can't leave because they've taken that thing on. And it was like, yeah, that's tough. I don't know where that line is. I mean, my 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 siding is always with the employee, but I've also seen scenarios, and I can imagine scenarios where people have identified a company that's got great training uh, uh, background and just like, right, I'm taking training, I'm out. Um, and yeah, how do we how do we sort that out? You know, is there is there a clawback or something? I don't know. Well, um, one of the reasons I find this so interesting is because I, I think there we we need to try and maintain an even relationship between the employer and the employee. And of course, over the last couple of years, the relationship has favored the employee. And that's why so many people have quit their jobs, they've gone and done whatever they like, they've demanded massive pay rises. And, you know, employers have had to really bend over backwards to uh, try and keep people. And then we're now moving into a, a probably a slightly different scenario where employers are going to have a little bit more of the control on the basis that we've got a cost of living crisis. And, you know, there's a variety of other things happening where IR35, interestingly, was is something we should cover. I didn't, I forgot to add, write that down here, but, um, you know, th there's, if, if we can try and have like a reasonably even relationship in terms of commitment between employee and employer, then that's a good scenario. And I think taking the training and then leaving is... The, 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 the solution is quite simple. I think that what you need to do is to have a conversation with the employee on hire to say, look, do you want this training course? Yes, no. And if so, great, we'll train you and do it. But if you leave within this the condition of you being given this training, is that you? If you leave within twelve months, you need to pay back a percentage of this effort. Whereas you you can maybe refuse that training, let's say. So it needs to be explicit on the contract, I guess. Um, I mean, doesn't that then solve the problem? By the way, Sophie and LinkedIn, I totally get what you're saying. Um, those jobs are, are career are earning are earning money before you become career, and it's like recruitment. It was in recruitment where I, I actually encountered this. Um, in fact, I think it was me. I think I was. I think I was the employee. Like when I left or something. Um, I think there was my first job I resigned from. I believe again, uh, memory doesn't serve. Obviously, I got brain damage from playing too much rugby as a kid. But memory doesn't serve. Um, however, I do recall a conversation where there was some sort of clawback conversation. I dismissed it. I said, "Yeah, yeah come at me," and they didn't follow it up. But there was a little bit of an attempt. To say right, actually, you owe me this. <laughs> it's like what? See you later. So I mean, yeah, Sean's, Sean's described this as the return of the golden handcuff. I'm not sure I'd describe it as that. I think the golden handcuffs a carrot rather than a stick, and I feel like this is a stick. But <laughs> this is a um, significant yeah. stick because it's a clawback. It's a clawback yes. out of your pocket, and if you can't afford it, then you're stuck. And then the main thing is, if you're literally stuck to an employer um, at, at penalty of, of of this, then obviously 
you are uh, massively vulnerable to abuse in that scenario and that is indentured labor and that's that's absolutely no good so that's a really interesting article worth looking at and again where is the line you tell me okay gives another one um yep the uh dummy's guide to how upwork works yep um i feel like i'm still a dummy because i've read it and uh i, I wasn't entirely sure of the terminology so when they say client i think they mean employer but i'm, I'm not 100 that's the buyer so that's the employer right okay so um for the so for the contractor they pay to upwork 20 percent of the first five thousand dollars they make from the lifetime earnings from an individual organization. Mm. So that gives you an incentive to continue to work for the same organization because it drops to 10% for the next $9,500. And then it drops to 5% for everything after that. So actually, that's a pretty good, that's pretty good. But if you're going from one organization to another, like constantly, and you're regularly paying at that 20% level, then you're quite you're you're giving away quite a lot to the platform. For the I really, I really like that design though. I think that's really clever because it like motivates it, it motivates the up worker to do a great job to that customer, particularly if yeah. there's forward earnings to be had. Um, and so if you're looking at a long-term relationship, which I think a lot of people do, I mean, sometimes it's one-offs, but I've had a long-term relationship with an upworker. Uh, she's been brilliant for me for five years now. Um, and I'm more than happy to uh, continue working with her for to, till whenever, you know? Um, so it's, it's absolutely the case where this supports longevity. So the way it works is simply, it's a big sting up top 20% on, was it first year earnings or something? Or no, first, first $5,000. Yeah, first $5,000, and then it just decreases over time. So if you keep supplying uh, quality work to this person, then eventually, you know, it will actually be it will be much more profitable for you as a supplier. So, yeah. I guess it's, it's, it seems really fair to me. It reflects Upwork's value as well because their value is up front, right? It's, the, it's making the connection, and that happens once. So, I, 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 yeah, Upwork's been great for me as a buyer of services, and I think for uh, a supplier, it's also a great option I mean, right now it was it started off very much as like um, uh, basic administrative type work, um, uh, but you start seeing like high end consultants in there now, and you start seeing. I, I'm very surprised not to see any kind of recruiting or HR type activity there, because you can imagine someone who being a HRD or something um, being able to say, "Hey, listen, I can give you strategic support or whatever um, at this number." Why not? I mean, Upwork definitely want to move up that value chain. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a. Uh, it's it's a great platform, and um, I'm, I'm pleased it's around. It's really helped uh, identify skills, and and I think it's also helped disperse a bit of wealth as well from, you know, first world to uh, uh, less well off countries. I think that's uh, that's that's uh, it's good that, that money's gone over there. Good. Um, one. One more from Sean. He's asked in here. This is really a question for you. I'll ask you the question. So uh, being a content creator is super hard and following a very aggressive power law distribution. Few ever make a living doing it. Question for you specifically. Do you ever regret taking this path and knowing how hard it's been to make a living from it? Would you have done anything different? 
That's actually a really personal question, Sean, but I thank you for it. And I welcome the personal questions. So I don't have a problem using this as an ask me anything type of thing. Um, the, the the reality of it is the answer is no, I really do have no regrets of going down this path. Um, it's been a, a huge joy. I think you, you know that by the amount of work I do and, and the, the, the consistency and volume of it. I don't think you could do that unless you're totally up for it. Um, and that's the case is I'm totally up for it. Um, and, but I think the reason why that's the case, two reasons, number one, it is because I never intended for this to be the path, right? So you're talking about, did I choose the path? Never did. Um, it was literally a sideline. I was just going to do it, see what happens. So very low risk, low kind of, um, commitment to be fair in terms of, you know, uh, finances and all the rest of it it just so happened to work and then obviously revenue started coming in sponsors started supporting it and so on and um and yeah i can't complain it's 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 it's, it's a very, very very um acceptable way to to earn a living so so yeah i appreciate that um it's 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 uh it's not i wouldn't i think if i was to do it again i probably would not have the ambition because i know the percentage chances are quite low um, but I never mm. had the ambition. It was just simply occurred. So, you know, um, I, I have no regrets on that for sure. But the, se the second part of the question is, you know, would you have done anything different? I mean, you are every single week you're sharing. How are you changing things about it? And, you know, and you are like documenting every change you're making. So what brain food is now is nothing like what it was when you started no. Um, there's so many different aspects of it and things are completely different. But I guess when you go and build, if I was to go and try and build a car in my garage, it's not going to be very good. But years after years and years of tuning all the different bits, it's going to be pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and just, I take that final point as well, Sean. Would I do anything different? The answer is no, even though I could have obviously optimized lots of things through the process, right? No question I could have optimized a lot more than I did. Um, but... Uh, because everything has been emerging anyway, I, I failed to see whether there would ever be like a strategic decision to do this or that. Um, it, it literally just—it's literally just me fumbling my way through. Um, and you, uh, you couldn't have done it different. You had to learn. You weren't copying anybody else. I mean, you were probably yeah. learning from lots of others, but you weren't—you weren't copying anything specifically. So, you, no, you, you, couldn't have, you couldn't have done it differently. No, exactly. It was never by design and, and, and it was, yeah, quite right, Sean. It was iterating and it was also just like feeling where the audience was telling you, right? So, so you know, there's a Chinese saying to say, look, you cross the river by feeling for the stones underneath, underneath your feet. Uh, so in other words, if you're standing on one side of the bank, you don't just map it out because you just literally have no clue what's underneath the water. You can't, there's no point. What you do is take step by step and feel for it with your feet and then go through. So I, I take that mentality with brain food. Uh, it probably could have got there faster, right? I probably could have built a bridge, I could, you know, whatever. But hey, it is what it is. I'm happy where, where, where it is now, you know. Um, cool. Anything else? Uh, yeah. Um... Oh, <laughs> the ever hilarious Trump fan. Yes, yes. So he's a he, got a, he, yeah. got a, he got a bot to read 100 million LinkedIn profiles. And using that, it created a pilot for a TV script. And the, uh, the lead character was uh, humbled and honored, um, <laughs> presumably because it found so many, I'm humbled, I'm honored. <laughs> I'm humbled and honored. 
the lead character's name is humbled and honored. Uh, yeah, the guy's a genius. I mean, um, Trung Fan, I mean, I forget what he is, but he, he's an ex-product guy, I think, but he writes now and he's very, very funny as a writer. He's the guy, by the way, that wrote um, Why is LinkedIn so cringe? So you might have uh, read that six to 12 months or so ago where he just looked at LinkedIn and just totally roasted the people who were, you know, uh, as you know, as everyone knows, you know, the, the, the sort of the faux stories, the, the broetry that people write and, you know, the, the ridiculous lessons of life. <laughs> it's, it's like you, you wonder across, yeah, I saw a little blue tip that landed on the, on the branch there. And then suddenly it weaves a story about why that's relevant to hiring software engineers or something, um, you know, it, 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 criticizing that. But anyway, he, he did this he experiment. That. He actually referenced that previous research, what he called it, was why is LinkedIn so cringe? <laughs> he, said, he, said that, he said he used a lot of the research gained from that into the TV, into the, pilot, the TV pilot script. Yeah. Uh, very, funny, very funny indeed. Um, the recruiter worked for a company called Met, Met, Metapoogle Softmizen. <laughs> Softmizen. Um, yeah, Metapoogle Soft Mazon, um, which I think has been inspired by a number of other uh, companies out there. And you know uh, what's interesting on this, though, I think he, he's rightly criticizing a lot of the, um, you know, uh, crappy content out there. But there's also a, um, a kind of a, not a movement, but there's also a, a way that people try and get views by copying and pasting popular popular posts so yeah. I've, seen, I've seen a few people who we know in our industry like actually call people out and say listen you've just written that word for word and you've copied it on my my post and you've copied it to try and get your own views and they've called people out so what happens i think uh, that's helped feed this machine that trunk fans put together is that basically there's a lot of copy pasta in there um, some, I think that might even sometimes think I can imagine a social media company actually maybe charging for this in some way, maybe an Upworker could charge for it to say, Hey, listen, I'm going to write a viral post for you. Um, it's going to cost you $20 to do this and then just template that out and, you know, change, change the names around a bit and then boom, people use it and then off it goes, lo and behold, it works. Um, and then obviously it becomes the dominant thing that people see on their newsfeed, you know, this multiple people posting the same thing. So, yeah, it's very interesting to see um, how people exploit the system um, uh, for uh, for those precious views, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anything else or is that it? That's us. That's it. All right, cool. Well, listen, I hope you've enjoyed having a quick talk through uh, Brain Food Break Fresh. Oh, we should talk very briefly before we go, because obviously today's news, and we'll probably talk about this next week, actually, has been um, the, uh, the, the, the pound absolutely getting crushed. I don't know whether you've seen it. It's completely collapsed, 35-year low against the dollar, essentially a reaction against um the um, mini budget which is like anything but mini <laughs> it was like the most is the biggest bomb dropped ever economically i think uh from any chancellor but anyway what this means is it's got to mean like aggressive interest rate hikes again by the bank of england um to try and shore up the pound um because if the pound drops to a co compared to the dollar it means imports become super super expensive here um, and the UK imports a lot of crap. Um, you know, we're not like, you know, what Andrea Leadsom thinks or John Redwood thinks that we make everything ourselves. 
or, or the UK economy is just jamming biscuits or whatever. So <laughs> do you remember Leedson was talking about selling fucking jam? Sorry, selling effing jam to North Korea or something back in the day, pre-Brexit days. It was like ludicrous then. But now it's it's come to roost because if input costs, forget about energy costs not that's input costs but now the pound is devalued according to the dollar it, and lots of things are priced in dollars by the way this is the u.s dollar a, a sort of dominance um a lot is why a lot of people criticize the dominance of the usd because essentially everyone has to follow what the uh federal reserve is doing but if we lose value against the dollar basically it means our input costs go up that means business costs go up that means it's going to slide into bite into profits it's going to hurt us in terms of employment and it's going to bleed into consumer price increases as well this on top of like mega price like unfunded tax cuts as well um yeah interesting times interesting times hey um yeah i, 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 don't I, haven't, I, haven't, really see, I haven't really seen that because i was at hospital this morning but um and and then come and then on here but um i'll go and take a look at that uh that'll explain why i got a message from my wife about the price of certain stuff um changing this morning uh yeah. and that, that'll, that'll explain it i've noticed i mean the 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 pound has been weakening against the dollar like considerably over the last um uh, few months yeah. and i know that because uh i've been looking at uh potential of spending some time in america and i've been looking at property and stuff like that and wow the int- the exchange rate has come so close together it's ridiculous yeah we're going to be parity soon and we'll probably drop below the dollar which i think is is going to be incredible um and uh, but the thing is bank of england is going to crank the rates up on our side as well and then suddenly you're looking at um you, you're looking at increased mortgage rates you're looking at uh a lot of people being defend it will almost almost certainly get us into a recessionary type of scenario so it's uh it'll be interesting times i mean i'd love by the way if you're an economist or anything like this or you're interested in the economy please get in touch because i want to do more brain food lives on the economy you're in it this week actually adam uh we're going to be talking about um where the missing millions are in terms of the workers that should be around the aren't um so we've got loads of interesting people there we've got tony wilson from the institute of um i think employment studies uh we've got pavel adrian who is the uh, director of labor economics indeed uh we've mm-hmm. got dr sarah uh, ali who is a brilliant a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. i don't know if you saw that uh mm-hmm. she's the head chief economist at radency we've got anita lentink as well who's a hr analyst and labor market person as well so we've got lots of bright people we're going to talk about why the candidate shortage because in economies like this where there are redundancies, there are people getting let go, um, uh, you know, we should be employing less people, but no, there's still a candidate shortage. Why? Like, where are these people? Is it is it all immigrants? Is it all seasonal workers? Like, where are they? Um, so we're going to be talking about all of this and, and seeing whether we can get a way out. So make sure you follow the channel for this and make sure you... Um, uh register for the show on friday we're going to try and do this every week by the way bring bring through baked fresh 12 30 to 1 um and we're going to be talking about uh the newsletter that we sent on sunday so i'm I've, i'm tempted i might shift it to wednesday i wonder whether it might give time more people time to read it so uh let me know in a comment uh, below whether you think monday or wednesday is a better time for to do a newsletter review. Uh, right now, we've got it on Monday. It's called Bake Fresh because it's meant to be straight off the, off, off the thing. If you haven't read it, by the way, please do 
uh, feel free to take part in it and have a read. It's uh, recruitingbravery.com. Subscribe to that. Okay, but that's is, about it. Is Monday, is, does Monday mean that it's actually half-baked? It's it's not half-baked. I mean, you've read it, I've read it. But to be fair, a lot of people <laughs> do read it throughout the week, don't they? I mean, it's not like people like assiduously just devouring every bit of content. That's not the case. Um, you know, it might well be it's a better place in the middle of the week or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm open for people to, uh, to, 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 to let me know, uh, what the best option there is. Um, can, can I just say one more, one quick thing, just, just to go back two minutes about the, like the new chancellor and the new prime minister. And I, I, I've got a feeling, um, that this is the, uh, conservative party selecting the Ron Miliband is what's happened here. Um, and uh, history is going to prove that this has not been a good move for the Conservative Party. Um, I, I that's a possibility. Uh, for some reason, I'm very bullish about them, um, even though I think they are not great decision makers. But I think politically, I think they're they're quite smart. So even though yes, so in other words, if they tough it out, which I think they're just going to do. I mean, they've just got in, right? Um, so apparently, Conservative MPs are already writing letters of no confidence. I'm thinking. Mate, if, if if you're already no confident, why why weren't you working harder to vote someone else in? It's like complete dysfunction. Like it's, it has to be dysfunction. You can't say anything other than the if, if your PM has been in situ for two weeks and you're already saying, "No, nah, I've got no confidence in the PM." It's your party leader. Systemic dysfunction. I do. I'd rather um, have Theresa May. No, no. <laughs> Look, yes. you can, you I'd can rather have Boris. The, I'd rather have Look, Boris. You can take that. Yeah, I'd rather have Jonathan Pye. You can take the job lot. You can take the job lot and get rid of them. Mark Goldbridge, the guy who does like YouTube and, and commentates on TV, uh, on, on football, like a, like a maniac. Get him in. Anybody. You could literally take a man off the street, man or woman. I'd take, I'd take Fido the dog off the street, put him in number 10 and have him pick out of, you know, make, make choices out of eating different do- bowls of dog food. That is preferable. Um, than what we have right now in political leadership. We have a crisis in the system, folks. Uh, All right, listen, let's not uh, continue this rant, otherwise we'll never get off. Uh, Everyone have a good lunch. We'll be back on Friday, so make sure you join us for that. Cheers. Bye.